everyone. My name is Ari and welcome to Made of Metal, a motivational podcast where we tell stories about regular people overcoming insurmountable odds. So thank you so much, everyone, for joining me for the final part in the Abraham Lincoln series. I'm really excited to conclude this series as we get into one of my favorite tumultuous historical time periods in American history that led to a major political and societal upheaval. I love a good revolution. (laughs) So I love me personally, just on a side note, I love reading the narratives that have emerged from this point in history from the soldiers' perspectives. And I definitely enjoyed studying it from the vantage point of the captain of the ship, President Lincoln. So where we left off in the previous episode, Abraham had just been elected president of the United States during quite a volatile time for the country. Right before his inauguration, several states had seceded from the Union, bringing about one of Abraham's worst predictions, a nation divided and on the brink of a civil war. So just to kind of like give you guys an idea of seceded, it it just essentially means that these states chose to leave the country as a whole and form their own territory, which essentially the South left the United States and formed their own territory called the Confederacy. The South in particular were beginning to stir up significant unrest that would spill over and spark the dawning of a new era in the United States of America. I know it sounds like an action movie, but this is history, y'all. It is so interesting, so real, and there's so much for us to learn from it. So let's get right into it. As Abraham prepared for his transition into his presidency, he'd received word that a conflict was beginning to materialize at a U.S. fort in South Carolina between the Union and the new Confederate soldiers. Fort Sumter was being threatened by the Confederacy, and their soldiers outside the fort were demanding to take it over, beginning to intimidate the Union troops within. Their tactics involved surrounding the fort and preventing provisions to be delivered to the weary soldiers inside. Following Abraham's inauguration, the Confederate troops flat out threatened to starve out the remaining soldiers within Fort Sumter. At the very brink, and beginning of his presidency, Abraham had his very first tough decision to make. But don't forget, above all else, regardless of the means, Abraham wanted to preserve the Union in the country he loved so dear. Weighing his options on how to approach an obviously escalating situation at Fort Sumter, Abraham chose an initial strategy of nonviolence. Instead of attacking the troops, holding the fort in siege, Abraham decided to alert the governor of South Carolina that he would be providing supplies and relief to those within the fort. Any resistance that was met to prevent these resources from reaching their destination would be met with force. So he even had the courtesy to kind of like give a warning to the governor of South Carolina and just say, hey, like, no beef, dude, as long as you let me feed my folks, we're all good. But of course... It's never all good. So during that time when he had alerted this governor of South Carolina that he would be approaching with supplies for his troops, he also had privately met with his own general and essentially was preparing and warning of a possible skirmish at the fort. 
giving explicit instructions to hold or retake the fort if necessary. So he was prepared to fight from the very beginning, although he was approaching with a mostly passive initial approach. Unfortunately, at news of his incoming provisions for those inside the fort, the Confederate soldiers requested the fort be surrendered completely and immediately. This request was, of course, denied. With this news, the Confederacy fired on the fort, beginning one of the bloodiest wars in U.S. history, the Civil War. Abraham immediately put out a call to arms to other states in order to gather troops for the Union Army. At this call to arms, states rallied together in terms of common interests, with the North and South clearly in opposition. During this time, four other states also seceded for the Confederacy. Thus began Abraham's newest position, from political participant to war strategist. What an incredible transition from the defensive to the offensive without a beat. And for someone as conflict-adverse as Abraham, I couldn't imagine what was going through his head during this time. He didn't even have time to really enjoy his victory and enjoy the fact that he had reached the highest political position in the country all on his own. During the war, Abraham relied heavily on the advice of his generals as to determining the best course of action and attack for his troops. While he considered several peaceful strategies, Abraham believed the war would be won with a more aggressive and head-on approach. At his command, Abraham directed his forces to attack multiple points of interest for the South, aiming to overwhelm their forces with simultaneous attacks in sheer numbers. This was a great strategy that required a great deal of coordination and planning amongst the troops that just was not available at the time. These were not specially trained military troops that were fighting. They were simple countrymen who took up arms to fight their brothers in some circumstances. Abraham had appointed several generals to command his army, cycling through while trying to find the right partner for the position. Each one had their own issues, which made it difficult to work with or had too much of an imposing work ethic to Abraham's. With so much transition within leadership, the Union Army suffered from instability for the first two years of the war. Finally, after much trial and error with other generals, Abraham found the great Ulysses S. Grant, a general with an admirable history of successful campaigns who fit all the characteristics he was searching for in a commander of the Union Army. After several negative experiences, Abraham was ecstatic that he'd found and brought together a successful and trustworthy war cabinet. Soon after, Abraham had created a stable and skilled group of commanders to manage the important aspects of the war, from the troops to strategy to resources. I wanted to highlight that although Abraham himself didn't have the experience necessary to command an army, he still had the wherewithal to understand the importance of hiring and consulting with experts. Not many individuals have the self-awareness and insight to say, this is not my strength. Abraham was humble enough to admit where he was lacking and mature enough to seek out help when he needed it, which is quite commendable. While many were using the war for their own political pursuits, Abraham's only concern, as it was from the very beginning, was bringing the country back together. With this vision, 
Abraham was able to take a more collaborative approach to winning the war using his top advisors. Abraham even described his approach as mostly reactionary, as he had no set plan of attack on how to manage his forces. As such, he was making decisions and giving commands based solely on his advisors and personal experiences up to that point. It was also during the war that Abraham would make one of his most iconic and memorable political decisions, the creation of the Emancipation Proclamation. Going back to Abraham's earlier sentiments about slavery, he had initially opposed it for its deep economic issues for the country. This opinion then evolved into his more well-known beliefs in personal freedoms and the morality of slavery being inherently wrong. Abraham wanted to balance the eradication of slavery with the preservation of the Union. Ultimately, this was his main goal and something that he was willing to compromise over if it meant the end of the war. In 1862, Abraham was quoted when asked by a reporter as to why he wasn't fully supporting emergent anti-slavery laws. Abraham said, My paramount object in this struggle is to save the Union, and it is not neither to save or to destroy slavery. If I could save the Union without freeing any slave, I would do it. And if I could save it by freeing all the slaves, I would do it. And if I could save it by freeing some and leaving others alone, I would also do that. During the Civil War, there existed border states in the Union that were practicing slavery. Abraham was concerned that if he were to enforce or support anti-slavery legislature, he would lose the much-needed military support of these border Union states. On January 1st, 1863, the Emancipation Proclamation was issued with several caveats and exclusions for those Union slaveholding states. While few slaves were actually freed under the Emancipation Proclamation, it was the beginning of a wave of federally mandated freedoms that would be finally granted to enslaved people throughout the country. Abraham foresaw the impending change towards a nationwide distancing from slavery for the United States outside of the areas that relied on it heavily for commerce, which were mostly based in the South. It was on this platform of anti-slavery, which was unlike any stance he'd taken before, that Abraham would be re-elected during the war. Funny enough, even Abraham questioned the validity of the laws he was enacting during the war. Following the Emancipation Proclamation, Abraham advocated for the 13th Amendment, which further granted additional freedoms to enslaved people throughout the country instead of just in the Confederacy. The 13th Amendment reads as follows, Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. This amendment officially made slavery illegal in the United States. It was on this tide of radical change that Abraham would be touted as a revolutionary for the country. The Civil War was still going on strong, but Abraham was garnering much-needed support from his followers. All throughout the war, Abraham was not exempt from the regular responsibilities of politics. He had to maintain party relations within his own party while managing his opposition's party's activities. While there are many points to be rectified with the war, 
Abraham made it clear that he would consider any peace arrangement that included the reunion of the country and the eradication of slavery in the South. Abraham's advisors encouraged him to consider any offer for peace. But after fighting for four long years, the Confederacy foresaw their defeat and met with Abraham to discuss terms of ending the war. Abraham made it clear that he would be open to any plans as long as the seceded states rejoined the Union. Two groups had emerged during the war that called themselves the Radicals and the Conservatives. Each group had their own plan and vision for rebuilding the country, some based in partisan views and others in military strategy. Bringing the country together would not be easy, especially after such a polarizing and devastating war. There were talks of seizing property from slave owners and giving it to the formerly enslaved, as well as military occupation of the South. Abraham had plans of his own as well that centered around the huge task of integrating the newly freed population within the country. Abraham even introduced the idea of granting voting rights to newly freed African-Americans, especially those that had served in the Union military. It was a daunting task, bringing essentially two opposing groups with completely different wants to a commonly agreed plan. There was much opposition and turmoil between the northern and southern states on just what plan would be the best for coming together. The ending of the war didn't bring about a magical solution either. Just a few days after the official end of the Civil War, Abraham decided to attend a production at Ford's Theater in Washington, D.C. If you recall, Abraham was always a fan of the arts and the theater. As Abraham watched the play, he was assassinated by a Southern extremist named John Wilkes Booth, who was a strong supporter of slavery in the Confederacy, on April 15, 1865. What is the most unfortunate about this story is that Abraham didn't live to see his true dream of bringing the country together successfully. Though, without a doubt, It would not have happened without his incredible bravery and vision for the country's future. As a person, Abraham was described as good-natured, down-to-earth, and a spokesman for the common man. As a leader, Abraham was described as steadfast, dedicated to his country, and to the task at hand, whatever that may be. The farm boy, with no education, would grow up to become one of the most respected and revered men in the history of his country. Without personally knowing Abraham, it is obvious that above all else, his ideology was one of honesty and virtue. Abraham was even willing to compromise on certain aspects of his views in order to maintain the integrity of the country as a whole. That requires a strength and a belief in what you know in your heart to be right that is unmatched. During his time period, Abraham was compared to another who was also adored and admired, President George Washington. Abraham Lincoln is legendary for upholding his beliefs in the face of overwhelming pressure and opposition, simply unyielding to anything that threatened his country, even its own people. When Abraham was assassinated, newspapers around the world reported on the loss of an individual of supreme moral principle. Honest Abe was just that, and he didn't need to be anything more, because it was just simple, honest Abe who changed the course of the country forever. 
you can check us out at madeofmetalpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Instagram or Facebook, Made of Metal Podcast, all together. And that's Made of Metal, M-E-T-T-L-E. If you love the show and you'd like to support my passion for sharing these stories with you, you can support me on buymeacoffee.com. That's Made of Metal. We also have a membership program with monthly perks. You can also follow, subscribe, and review the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. As always, my loves, thank you so much for listening. I so appreciate it. I love the feedback. I hope you guys are having an amazing summer and bloom where you are planted. Thank you.